There's a holdup in the Bronx, Brooklyn's broken out in fights. There's a traffic jam in Harlem that's backed up to Jackson Heights. There's a scout troop short a child, Crucifix to an wild. Larry Miller, where are you? And now, live from Level 5 Productions on the island of Milleronia, it's the Larry Miller Show! Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. America, and everyone who just loves Car 54, where are you? Hi, welcome back to the Larry Miller Show. I'm Larry Miller, but in a way, aren't we all? And boy, oh boy, it's a gorgeous day here today on Milleronia. A little windy, and that means several of the weather people will have to get thrown in the volcano. Strict, you say? Yes, strict but fair. <laughs> anyway, it is it is a gorgeous, windy day here today on Milleronia, and uh, boy, oh boy, that 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 music though it just always puts me in the best of moods. I know it's every week, but it's better every week. I feel great listening to that music, and of course, that's the Frank Sinatra Jr. Orchestra and. The Beatrice Pons Dancers, featuring boy tenor Joe E. Ross, asking the musical question, Ooh, ooh, car 54, where are you? And that might not have been a great impression of Joe E. Ross, the great Joe E. Ross. Boy, there's so much to say about him, but I'll just start by saying, and finish by saying for now, his birthday was last week. And he would have been 102 years old. He passed away in 1982. And I'll tell you why I bring him up. And Beatrice Pons, who played his wife on that show. And the great Frank Sinatra Jr., whom I admired and adored and worked. Uh, I worked with him, yes. And uh, he passed away last week. And I'll tell you something about all of them a little later in the show. And it makes me happy to think that. And here's a little housekeeping item. (laughs) Wow. Colonel Jeff said to me... uh, because there's something I want to tell you. But he said, oh, that's a good housekeeping item. Uh, say that it's a housekeeping item because I have a good sound effect for the housekeeping item. And that's what it was. It's, and it is. That's great. A doorbell. That Sadly, we all don't hear doorbells anymore. That sounded like, well, it sounded like what it should be, a doorbell. And then a vacuum cleaner. Both the doorbell and the vacuum cleaner. Are from 1948, I think. But in any case, that was good stuff. I'll tell you all about those folks later, but here is a great housekeeping item. Uh, we found out yesterday, the colonel let me know yesterday, our show here, the Larry Miller Show, is now number 13 on the iTunes charts for comedy podcasts. Oh, 
comedy podcasts. Well, it's it's that too. But you know what? Please keep listening and tell a friend. We're very proud of that. We're doing very well, and it makes us happy here. I'm glad you enjoy the show, and we love doing it. We make a fun, happy show here, and we'll keep doing our best. Thank you so much for listening. As we went independent, it was a good move for us and a good step. And yes, please tell a friend. And uh, in fact, threaten a friend. Threaten a friend with the volcano. Because if they don't listen, you can, uh, well, send us the address. We'll get them here to Milleronia and that walk up the volcano. Anyway, we're very happy about that. And thanks, folks. And by... Amazon, PayPal, and my book. I'm so pleased to say this again. You know, I I think Amazon is a great company because they do three things no one else can do. One, order something and you can get it from them. Two, they already have it. They have everything. They, they, They don't even have to order it themselves. They make it and they have it in a huge warehouse. And three, they send us a percentage of whatever you order. That's the best part. I won't lie. Well, I will, but not about that. But that's the best part, that uh, you go to Amazon and uh, they'll send us part of whatever you order. And by the way, don't go yourself. You could go to you, you could go there yourself. You could go on your computer, on your laptop, on your iPhone. You could do whatever you wanted. But don't do that. What you do is go to our Facebook. Is that it? No, it's not Facebook. It's the podcast. No. Is this typical for the show, by the way? Because we want to make it into the top ten. <laughs> it's 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 the uh, not the Facebook, not the podcast, our uh, website. <laughs> Thank you, Colonel. I think I got a gold star for that, and I didn't even think of it. But go to our website, which is LarryMillerPodcast.com. Who's on the mountain? Tom Mix. Wow. First of all, that was a good one. Second of all, that ship sounded like it was going 80 miles an hour. It it got out fast. <laughs> anyway. We will take you there. Go to our website, and LarryMillerPodcast.com has a banner there that says Amazon on it. You click that banner, and we'll get you to Amazon. We'll do whatever it takes, except get on that ship with the 80-mile-an-hour foghorn. In any case, we'll get you there, and you can... Oh, whatever you can imagine, Amazon will get for you. And we have another banner there that says PayPal. PayPal, another great group. I like these guys so much. If you enjoy my show, and why wouldn't you? And if you'd like to send us a few bucks to help out, and why wouldn't you? You can do it through PayPal. And instead of my my, my favorite part is, uh, never mind donating or pay what you like, or you want to join the Platinum Committee? Uh, I'd just like to say buy us some drinks. That's right. Buy us some drinks because there are different levels of drinking. Levels one through five all the way up to... We're driving to Florida! (laughs) 
Boy, it is a beautiful day. That's making me giggle more than usual. Maybe it's the wind. In any case, uh, yes, please, we have, a, we have banners for both Amazon and PayPal. And by me. That's right. There's a, a signed hardcover copies of my book, Spoiled Rotten America, are now for sale at store.comedyfilmnerds.com. So uh, please uh, get yourselves uh, copies of that book. I love it. I've spent a lot of time on it, and I made it. I, I had a good time too because it's it's a funny book, and I had a good time being funny with it. So uh, enjoy it, folks, at store.comedyfilmnerds.com. And uh, that brings me, of course, to my favorite part of the show, the joke of the week. Boy, I expected that foghorn again. I don't know why. And uh, in any case, this is a good one. Uh, both the colonel and I liked this one. We hope you do, too. Three fellas go to heaven. Now, that's a good start to a joke, isn't it? They So they, they're in heaven. They got into heaven, and they're in heaven. And so they've passed away, and three of them there, they go to heaven, and... Uh, well, who walks up but God? That's a, that's a pretty again a pretty good start to the whole process here. And uh, God says to them, "You know what, uh, fellas? Uh, welcome to heaven. You can figure all the things out here, but I'll tell you right off the bat, heaven is a very big place, very big, far bigger than you think. So you're all going to need vehicles, and I'm going to give them to you based on how good you were to your spouses in life." In real life. So let's hear it. Uh, you start, uh, buddy. And the first guy says, well, I was very good to my spouse. And uh, you know what? I uh, never cheated on her. I never cheated, not even once. And God says, you know what? Ding, that's it. You win. I'm going to give you a Lamborghini. Well, that's pretty good. And then uh, the second guy says, uh, well, uh, Lord, I... Uh, I, I have to be honest, I, I cheated on my wife just once or twice, but I did cheat. And uh, so that's the way it was, and that's the way it is. And God just says, all right, here's yours. And he gives him kind of a beat-up used car, sort of a Chevy. That would suit me, by the way. But he gives him a, a kind of a beat-up used Chevy to get around heaven. And the third guy says, well... Uh, Lord, I'll be honest with you. I uh, I cheated on my wife a lot. Uh, that's the way it was. I'm not proud of it now, but uh, that's the arrangement we had. And I, I I I cheated on her a lot. And even when she found out, we didn't get broken up. So I did cheat, and it was a lot. And uh, God says, "All right, here you go." And He gives him well, uh, kind of a bent old bicycle, and that's going to be His way of getting around. And, uh, well, you know what, uh, he, uh, the, the two fellows of God walks away. Well, he's, he's busy. He's got a lot of things to do. And, uh, the, uh, number two and three fellows go over to the guy, the first fella, and who's kind of weeping. He's, and, and they say to him, what, what are you, what are you crying for? Are you kidding? You look at this. You got a, you got a Lamborghini. And, uh, and he says, well, I, I, I just saw my wife on a rusty pair of roller skates. 
<laughs> well, we thought that was a good joke. I hope you do, too. Wow, can you imagine that? Here, yeah, this guy has got his nose in the air, and he thinks he's all terrific, and he never cheated on her once. And uh, apparently, she didn't keep that bargain. <laughs> and, uh, she was, In fact, maybe she cheated with one of the other two fellas. Could be. <laughs> in any case... As always, there's nothing like a good joke. I hope you like that joke and pass it on to friends and loved ones. It's a good punchline. Well, I, I just saw my wife on a rusty pair of roller skates. And uh, that brings me to my second favorite part of the show. The Poetry Corner. Boy, it sounds like the maybe the fellow with that cough had his head bent in. He was just looking inside the giant horn of that ship when it went off. Maybe he was just curious and looking in, and it went off, and he's... <laughs> in any case, uh, this is a lovely poem. It's called We Are the Music Makers by Arthur William Edgar O'Shaughnessy. And uh, he has those four names, the colonel and I decided, because in case you were wondering uh, if he was Irish Catholic, yet with four names and the last one being O'Shaughnessy, I think you're on the right path. And uh, so here we go. And by the way, this is quite a fella, Arthur William Edgar O'Shaughnessy, because he uh, was English, lived in England, and worked at the British Museum as a transcriber. And he also specialized in ichthyology. And I said to the colonel at that point, well, those are two things I don't know. I, I don't know what either of those is. And he did. Colonel Jeff said, well, ichthyology is the study of fish. And he checked himself on that. He looked up fish on, uh, or ichthyology rather, on his screen. And he was right. It's the study of fish. I, I come to think of it, I never knew why. Why do we need a, a bigger word for that? Ichthyology. I mean, uh, okay, if you say so, but how just how about just the study of fish? He was a transcriber, and he studied fish. And every so often he ate fish, and he liked fish, and he went to catch fish. But his true passion, Arthur O'Shaughnessy's true passion was for literature. And here's something interesting. Part of this poem that I'm going to read to you now is said out loud by Gene Wilder as Willy Wonka in that terrific movie, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, right? And that was remade with Johnny Depp. I, I think Johnny Depp's great in everything he does. But you know what? There are certain things I don't need to see remade. I think Gene Wilder and that wonderful cast in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory retired that number. I'll see that again anytime. Uh, in any case, here we are by Mr. O'Shaughnessy. We are the music makers. We are the music makers, and we are the dreamers of dreams, wandering by lone sea breakers, and sitting by desolate streams, world losers and world forsakers 
upon whom the pale moon gleams, yet we are the movers and shakers of the world forever, it seems. With wonderful deathless ditties we build up the world's great cities, and out of a fabulous story we fashion an empire's glory. One man with a dream, at pleasure, shall go forth and conquer a crown, and three with a new song's measure can trample an empire down. We in the ages lying in the buried past of the earth built Nineveh with our sighing and Babel itself with our mirth, and o'er through them with prophesying to the old of the new world's worth. For each age is a dream that is dying, or one that is coming to birth. Well, I think that's a good use of words by this fellow. And uh, you know what? I would n next time. By the way, I'm uh, next time I see Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory. I'm going to keep an ear out and an eye out for what Gene Wilder says. He was he's wonderful in everything, but he was just great in that movie. Good last couplet here. For each age is a dream that is dying, or one that is coming to birth. Well, thank you there to Arthur William Edgar O'Shaughnessy. With We Are the Music Makers, I hope you liked it, folks, and in the same way that you'll bring it to someone you love or in your family or one of your friends. And that brings me to my third favorite part of the show. M.M.M. The Magic Movie Moment. Love that end piano note. And I was just saying to the colonel before, they're going to have a great jazz group playing that tune. And they really are. A really diverse group of instruments there and wonderful stuff. But that they choose to end it on one cool piano note. Bow. One low, cool piano note. Boom. And I thought that was that was a good creative choice. Now, Good good for them as musicians, but how do you figure that out? How do you have such a cool group, but you say, you know what, the way to go out is one bow like that with the, with the piano. Well, well done, folks, anyway. And, uh, boy, I'll tell you, though, th this, is a, this is a good choice this time. Well, I hope they all are to you, but the magic movie moment, this is from the movie The Sting from 1973, a terrific movie course with the great Paul Newman and Robert Redford as those great pals they were in so many well uh, a bunch of movies one of them is uh, that uh, we were saying before Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid they're just great together but what a cast this movie has Robert Shaw Ray Walston Eileen Brennan great actors here and the wonderful Dana Elkar Dana Elkar is a great actor. You've seen him a thousand times. And he was in, in fact, The Sting. He played the bald FBI agent who really puts the screws on to Paul Newman's character. He's really going to, and then to, well, to Robert Redford's character, he's going to have him set up Paul Newman for a fall 
Henry Gondorf is the character's name of Paul Newman, and he and, and he's he's got him. He's got him dead to rights. And the wonderful Charles Durning plays the local policeman, the detective there, who's gloating over this. And they both, they all go to see Dina Elkar in his set-up offices there, the way they do with the FBI in a warehouse, and they have it all set up because they're going to get Henry Gondorf. And it's a terrific movie anyway. If you haven't seen The Sting, just see it. But there's a great magic movie moment for me in it and always has been. Dana Elkar pulls his tricks and and gets them. He he has them all dead to rights. And sure enough, Paul Newman is so mad at his new young partner, Robert Redford, who went that as Dana Elkar says to Redford, Okay, kid, go on, get out of here. You've done your part. And they look at each other across the room, and Redford can't even look at Newman's eyes. And he walks away and starts to leave. And Newman is so enraged, he pulls out a gun and shoots and kills Robert Redford right there. And, of course, all the FBI guys take out their guns, and they shoot and kill Newman. And the two big guys are dead now. And he turns Newman over, and he's, yes, he's dead and uh, then Durning has to get Robert Shaw, who plays Doyle Lonigan, the big head bad guy, has to get him out of here. And he says, come on, we're going to get out of here. Got to get you out of here. And, and, and Shaw says to him, but I've got money. I've got half a million dollars right there. In, it's my money. And he says, got to get you out of here. You can't have that. You can't be here for this. And, the, and, uh, and Shaw knows he's right. He can't get caught by the FBI or the police here. He's got to get out. And he does. They get out, and they start to you know, walk fast down the alley there. And Shaw is mad, but he knows he has to leave. And Durning is making sure he gets out of there. And then we go back in, and one of Newman's men, just one of the FBI guys, rather just, you know, sees them leave and closes the door and nods over to Dana Elkar, the head FBI guy. And, uh, all right, it's fine. And then Elkar puts his gun back in its holster and bends down and leans over Rodford, Robert Redford's body and whispers to him, okay, they're gone. And Redford opens his eyes and sits up and that's one of those moments. And then the whole place starts to laugh and smile. They were all in on it. And they were all part of Paul Newman's team. And we didn't know that. I didn't know that. You didn't know that. We don't know it with Dana Elkar. We think he's really got him as the head of the FBI there. And no, it turns out Dana Elkar, God bless him, a great actor. He passed on a couple of years ago. But Dana Elkar stands up and he's laughing and, <laughs> and he's having a great time. And, uh, and uh, Newman says to him that... Uh, Oh, good bit there. You did a good job. I took you with the feds myself. And uh, and he says, uh, Elkar has some kind of line like, oh, oh, Henry, you know, you should have seen, you should have seen the fire he, he lit under Lonigan. He was running down that street. And, and the point is, folks, it's a great moment for a great movie. It's one of those moments that's as good or better than any other trick played by all those characters in that movie. And we didn't see it coming, and I never saw it coming, 
and no one sees it coming, and you want to say, good for you. How do you like that? He was not, he wasn't the big FBI guy. He was in on the team of grifters, and he did a great job at it. And he, he's the reason that it succeeded. Well, they all are, but it's wonderful. And you know what? See the movie. If you haven't, see The Sting now. If you've seen it 10, 20 times, see it again. It's a terrific movie with a great cast. And you know what? One of the interesting things is that, well, Dana Elkar, a great, great actor in The Sting, was also in something else that I mentioned before. Dana Elkar, as a younger man, I guess it was, whoa, Oh, not so long before that. It was probably uh, 12 or 15 years before The Sting. But Dana Elkar was in the cast of Car 54, Where Are You? It's a wonderful show. And Colonel Jeff was telling me that this past weekend there was on a network called Decades. They played every episode of Car 54, Where Are You? And there were 60 of them made. 6-0. And that was from 1961 to 1963. And Dana Elkar was in it. And you know what, folks? That's another show. Oh, I haven't thought about that in so long. And, well, I'll I'll tell you that the, the, I loved that show. I was just a kid. But I loved it. It was shot in black and white. And I remember my parents... And I and my sister used to watch that every week. It was on NBC following The Wonderful World of Disney. And that's on Sunday nights at 8.30. And boy, oh boy, and made, created, and written by the great Nat Hiken. Now, I'm going to go out on a limb here. Let me know if I've been wrong. Because sometimes even I can be wrong. But you know what? Let me know if I'm wrong on, on this, but I think Nat Hiken was the great creative life, a man who also created and wrote and produced Green Acres on TV. And, uh, oh, this, B. Benedict, I forget the name again. The uh, uh, Oh, oh, for goodness sake, Petticoat Junction, thank you. The colonel knows all sorts of things. Boy, that's great. With uh, Petticoat Junction. Mm. And uh, and Nat Hiken was wonderful. And he wrote the theme song. He wrote all the words. And a fellow named Strauss wrote the music for it. But a great theme song for Car 54, Where Are You? And I remembered every word. Except the very first one. But then I looked that up too. And even as a kid seeing that show, it was in my mind. As soon as Colonel Jeff mentioned that show last night, there's a holdup in the Bronx. Brooklyn's broken out in fights. There's a traffic jam in Harlem that's backed up to Jackson Heights. There's a scout troop short a child. Khrushchev Stewart idle wild. Car 54, where are you? It's a terrific theme. Even when I sing it, it's actually a great theme. Look it up. It's wonderful. And it's so clever, too, if you think about it. Nat Hiken was such a great comedy writer. There's a holdup in the Bronx. 
Wow. Brooklyn's broken out in fights. That's a lot of fights. Brooklyn is big. And uh, there's a traffic jam in Harlem that's backed up to Jackson Heights. That's a big traffic jam. That's a very long way. If you're going from 125th Street in Manhattan to Jackson Heights in Queens, you wouldn't want to have to walk that. That's a big traffic jam. There's a scout troop short a child. <laughs> Khrushchev's due at Idlewild. Boy, does that tell you when the show was made? Well, it's 61 to 63, but that was before, well, before President Kennedy was assassinated and before things started to be named after him, like Kennedy Airport in New York, which is what it's still called. And so when I was a kid, it was called Idlewild Airport. And um, by the way, to show you how close we were to the airport where I grew up on Long Island, we had to watch TV. Well, we were kids. We were watching TV and adults watching TV. Every time a plane landed at Idlewild Airport, what became Kennedy Airport, it was so loud. We heard it coming in, and it got louder and louder and louder as it came in, and we couldn't hear the voices on whatever TV show we were watching. So we developed the ability to read lips. We could, as kids and adults, we could still watch the TV show, whatever it was, The Defenders, something legal, it didn't matter, comedy, drama, we could watch and still know just about what the characters were saying. Now, that's not because it was bad writing. It was terrific writing. But we could still watch it and enjoy it and just shrug off the fact that, well, I guess we live close to the airport. And uh, boy, oh boy, Car 54, where are you? Fred Gwynn. The great Fred Gwynn plays one of the leads, Officer Francis Muldoon, and Joe E. Ross. And uh, that was his birthday last week. Joe E. Ross was his partner, and they were the two leads in the show, and he played Officer Gunther Tootie. These names were all great, by the way. We were just saying that before going down the cast. Just a terrific name. Francis Muldoon and Gunther Tootie, T-O-O-D-Y. And uh, <laughs> and also we were saying again how wonderful that Joe E. Ross could develop that sound that ooh ooh and that was really his trademark before every line he said or just about it was wonderful to watch and uh, by the way Jay Leno delivered his eulogy in 1982 and Beatrice Pons played Joe E. Ross's wife on the show, Lucille Tootie, which, again, is just a great name. It's hard to even say that, Tootie. But she's a wonderful actress. And, by the way, Joe E. Ross and Beatrice Pons also played a married couple with the same name, Tootie, on the Phil Silvers show, Sergeant Bilko. And that's a wonderful way to cast a show, I think. It really is that, uh, well, who are we going to have for this officer and his wife? Well, how about Joe and Beatrice? They they do it already anyway, and they're both great. And they really are. What a cast, folks. Al Lewis played Officer Leo Schnauzer. Another great name there, <laughs> Leo Schnauzer. And uh, Al Lewis, by the way, you know, he was in another show with Fred Gwynn called The Munsters. Al Lewis, great actor, and he played Grandpa 
on that show, right? And his wife on Car 54, Where Are You?, was Charlotte Ray. You all know her from other things. Good Lord, she was just a kid then, in 1961. And then she played the house mother in what was the show with all the girls? Facts of Life. That's right. The Facts of Life. And that was Charlotte Ray and so many other shows, too. And uh, two of the officers there were Nipsey Russell and Ozzie Davis. Ozzie Davis. And they were playing Officer Anderson and Officer Omar Anderson. Great actors. Nipsey Russell was a great comic, and Ozzie Davis was a wonderful actor. And uh, I can't remember anything specific about that, but it's it's wonderful, I think, that the, the only two black characters they had on the show had the same name, Anderson. That must have really made them mad on the show. That uh, Well, as I said, I... Folks, I loved that show and everyone in it, and I still had no idea what it was about, but I didn't have to. Whew. Look it up on the Internet sometime and listen to that wonderful theme song. It's so meaningful. It's so good. Boy, there's a holdup in the Bronx. Brooklyn's, Brooklyn's broken out in fights. There's a traffic jam in Harlem that's backed up to Jackson Heights. There's a scout troop short a child. Khrushchev Stewart Idle Wild. Car 54, where are you? Boy, folks, I would have watched that all the, as Colonel Jeff said, he saw a bunch of those episodes when they showed it while he was doing other things in the house. And he said, that show was so good that he said, I laughed out loud at least once per show, and he wasn't even sitting there watching it closely. But he found something, and isn't that great to say about a show? You can laugh out loud. That's not just lip service. You're laughing out loud. You're howling. You're slapping the coffee table as you're laughing out loud. Well, they ever play that again, I'll be one of the folks watching it. And... You know what? I mentioned Frank Sinatra Jr. there because he just passed away last week. And I really, really liked him. I was a fan. If you uh, didn't know, Frank Sinatra Jr. was a great singer and handsome and, and charming. And, boy, it's it's tough to join a business. We were wondering this, too, that uh, what, uh, what happens? What do you do that... Uh, when your father is so famous, never mind just famous, but good Lord, you're Frank Sinatra's son, and you're Frank Sinatra Jr., and you're going to be a singer too? That's really something. And that, uh, as by the way, as uh, Frank Sinatra Jr. said, a good quote from him is, a famous father means that in order to prove yourself, you have to work three times harder than the guy off the street. And I think that's probably true. And, and we were wondering what other children of stars really made good lives for themselves, maybe in the same uh, business. I was thinking the first ones that popped in my head were Bo Bridges and Jeff Bridges. And they're great. They're just two great actors, and they're, they're the sons of the great Lloyd Bridges. Boy, oh boy, what a wonderful actor he was. He was in uh, High Noon with Gary Cooper, and uh, Grace Kelly. And uh, let me just mention Grace Kelly again. Have I talked about Grace Kelly? 
She's just always not a great, not only a great actress, but boy, she was just beautiful. And Katie Girardo, what a what a movie that is. But uh, well, Bo Bridges and Jeff Bridges did well. It's always made me smile that Alan Hale Jr. was Alan Hale's son. If you don't know those names, Alan Hale Jr., well, among many other things, was the skipper on Gilligan's Island. And he really was good at it, too. And uh, he had so many mannerisms that always reminded me of Oliver Hardy. And I think he was a huge fan of his. And he would do that that with the hands, go, would you please just go, you know, let me sit down first, whatever he was saying. But Alan Hale Jr., was the son of Alan Hale, a great actor from film in the 30s and 40s and 50s. And Alan Hale Sr. was, well, any Errol Flynn movie you've seen, you saw Alan Hale. He was great in them, and they were good friends, Alan Hale and Errol Flynn. And uh, I'm guessing that meant that... You would have a cocktail if you were good friends with Errol Flynn. And he said, uh, yeah, let me get you a drink. <laughs> you always said, well, okay. So is this going to be like 11 days we drink for? But uh, I really admired them, and I think they both did really well. This was a favorite of ours, Bob Elliott and Chris Elliott. I talked about the great Bob Elliott a couple of weeks ago because he passed away too from Bob and Ray. What a talent. What a wonderful entertainer. What a great soul. And his son, Chris Elliott, is a friend. You know Chris from so many things, from movies and TV shows. And I like him so much. We've worked together several times. He's a great guy. And so he did the same thing. Well, his father's a, a you know a huge, wonderful entertainer and comic actor and writer and presence well so was chris elliott and uh, we hit on this though and, and talking about it before the show that the great archie manning and his sons two great quarterbacks eli and peyton and uh, they are great and peyton of course just retired but archie manning good lord what a quarterback he was for the saints for so long what a what a foundation in that family. And their older brother, Cooper, by the way, who was also a great athlete and a great football player. I think he was at Ole Miss. And uh, I shouldn't even say it that way. I didn't go there. But he, that's the University of Mississippi, and he was injured there playing football, and he couldn't play any longer. But uh, that's, a, that's a family that, well, moved the parents' talents down to the kid pretty well. And Kirk Douglas and Michael Douglas came into our heads. And uh, two great talents there and great stars there. But, you know, it reminded me that a lot of store owners used to have names for the store like Miller & Son. You know what I mean? Of course you do. That uh, whatever the Hawkins & Son. And that was always a big thing to do, that if you had a business, whether it was a hardware store or a bookstore or anything else, whatever your name was, and son, and then your son would go into the business with you. But you don't see that anymore. I wonder why, and it's sad to me, really, because that's a nice way to do it. Son and daughter, or anything else, but Miller and son, you don't see it anymore. 
And uh, it's it's a shame, really. And they could have, a lot of these folks could have opened the same, Julio Iglesias and Enrique Iglesias. And the colonel mentioned them, and I think that's a good example, and I, I frankly don't even know what they do. I know they're singers, and uh, they uh, they like women. Well, I'm... I'm one for two on that. I mean, I can, I can sing, but sure, who doesn't like women? And John Adams and John Quincy Adams. And uh, I was wondering, by the way, what about daughters of international sex symbols? I mean, that's that's got to be a tough one. If you're, if you, you know, the daughter of a great, gorgeous star that the whole world adores, your mom comes to your wedding and she's still the hottest one there. Tough wedding day, but uh, I've worked with Kate Hudson before several times, and uh, she's great, and uh, she's her mama's Goldie Hawn. Well, you know what, folks? I worked with Frank Sinatra Jr., too, and I admired him so much, and he was very cool and gracious, and he was the guy... That, you know, I remember during when I was working uh, opening for Frank Sinatra in Las Vegas, and I've told that story before. It's a good story too. But Frank Sinatra Jr. was the conductor; he was leading the orchestra, and he would do. He was so nice to be around. And uh, I remember, I remember Frank Sinatra Jr. was passing by, and a really beautiful uh, uh, chorus girl had had come up and said something. To him, and he said, "Thanks, Red." She had red hair, and I remember I saw him say that. Thanks, Red, and I thought, now, who else can say that? You kind of have to be an Italian singer to say that, don't you? Or you need that blood in you. I can't say that. I can't. Hi, hiya, Red. I can't. <laughs> it wouldn't. It wouldn't enter my head anyway. But you know, my wife, God bless her, has red hair. And it's beautiful hair, but I would, I would, I, I don't, I can't see myself going up. Uh, hey, Red, welcome home. I can't. I don't even know how that would come off. Of she would look at me and just say, "Well, as long as I'm home, why don't you get out?" For calling me Red. In fact, when she and I were dating, there was an Italian restaurant that we used to love to go to. It was near her apartment, and we would walk there. And the Mater D there was just a great fella. He was uh, Italian from Italy, and he was uh, fifty or sixty years old or something like that. And every time we walked in, he would uh, smile and walk over and take her hand and say "Hello, Princess," and then kiss her hand. And she loved it. And I, I, I smiled. It was just he was so great. But that's another example of. Don't you have to be from Italy to be able to pull that off? Can anyone else, can any other, can you be an Eskimo and pull that off? No, you actually, you can't. Can you be, can I pull that off? Can anyone, could you be English or Chinese? No, no, you just actually can't. But if you have that Italian charm and you can say either, hello, princess. And she really felt like a princess then. She really did. She loved going there. And we both did. And knowing he was going to do that. And then he'd come by and make the secret dessert that they had at the restaurant there. 
I don't even know what it was because those were the days actually when we would have their secret drinks and, and a bunch of them and then walk back to her apartment. But you know what? It's to Frank Sinatra Jr., boy. Thanks, Red. Hello, Princess. And you know what? I admired him a lot. And he loved that the last years in his life, a great singer, in addition to many other things in show business, he would be on tour and he would get asked to do a lot of his father's music. And when uh, he in an interview, someone said, how do, you, how do you like being asked that? And he said, I love it. What a gift. It's unbelievable, he said. In addition to loving being a singer in show business, but your father's Frank Sinatra, maybe the greatest singer of all time, and people want to hear that. So he said, oh, it's, it's, it's wonderful to do four or five of his classic songs and have people love it. I love it. And you know what? God bless them. That shows a good soul. They could have opened a good business like that. Sinatra and Son. You know what? That works. It always has and it always will. And they're singing together now, I think. So you know what? I know that. And you and I know all, all sorts of things together. Homer is Homer, and Pluto is a planet. And so remember, folks, as always, if you walked out of bed today and had a job to go to and a home to come back to and someone there who cares about you, folks, the game's over and you've won. And you don't have to call her red for that. Be well, and we'll see you here next time. Society, my partner and me, oh, we belong to a mutual admiration society. I say he's got that certain air. He looks so handsome way up there. I say that he's a natural wit. I claim it's just the opposite. I think he dresses nice and neat. He's the Bob Rumble of the beat. And we go on like that till day is gone. We belong to a mutual admiration society. I think he's absolutely top. I think he's king of all the cops. I like his voice so deep and rich. He even snores in perfect pitch. He only fighting that we do is just who likes who more than who and it appears we've we'll all like this for years we belong to a mutual admiration society he's got a heart that's pure as gold and after him they broke the mold i like the things he's got to do i love the way he says ooh, ooh. we're called out he can walk a beat he still has arches in his feet so we roll all day on our patrol my father me oh we Belong to a mutual admiration society.